1: Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott.
0: And Welcome to another week of Real
1: Personal Finance. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Yeah, uh,
0: I'm excited to be here too. And now we actually have some people who are part of Real Personal Finance Nation. Mm-hmm. which is really cool. It's rolling. Yeah, baby. So if you are interested in taking your listenership to the next level, being a part of a community that allows you access to a element scorecard, a chance to come together as a community and learn from each other and have once a month, ask me any things with James and myself. That's where we come together and answer your questions. Um to be clear we cannot answer specifically like what should James Alex asset allocation be for a specific question we can't do that because that's uh, getting a specific advice we can do that at our firms but for this group we can give you the frames to get your own solves to help you get better make better choices ideally and execute in your financial life so if you're interested go check it out realpersonalfinance.co click nation and um come join us we are happy and excited to have you
1: Absolutely. What do Uh, you want to do
0: today? Let's dive into a question. We have a question from Randy. Um, Randy writes, Hey guys, love the show. I'm not sure if this can be a whole show, but I was wondering if you guys can go over how to think about choosing between the survivor benefit plan and whole or term insurance. I'm in the military and will be retiring soon. I work with a lot of members that are retiring and this choice seems to be like a coin flip or they simply go off of what someone else did. I know the decision is different for everyone, so I was hoping you guys could go over the framework and how to compare the two. I would love to be able to point people to a podcast that walks them through the process of comparing the two. Well, thanks for the... uh, Question Randy and thank you for your service. And uh, yeah, not not a not an easy question to answer, but I think we can definitely give you a frame that will help you find the right solution for yourself.
1: Yeah, agreed. And, and to Echo Scott, thank you for your service Randy. It should be more than a coin flip from our perspective. So we're going to walk yes. through if you're not doing the coin flip side, how how else would you think about this? To start though, let's give a breakdown for people listening because yes, if you're in the military you're eligible for a pension, but there's other institutions as well, that you also might be eligible for a pension from. Yep. If you're a teacher, if you're in law enforcement, if you're a firefighter, if you're in certain corporate positions, you may be eligible for a pension. And when it comes time to elect that pension, they'll usually give you a few options. They might say, Hey, Scott, thank you for your service. You have worked enough years and based upon your salary and your years of service, you can get one amount for the rest of your life. And let's, yeah. I'm just going to make up some numbers. Let's assume that amount is $3,000 per month. And as long as you're alive, Scott, you continue receiving that. Sweet. I'll take it. If you pass away, your spouse, Amanda, would get nothing. So that's the the downside to that. Or Scott, I'll give you another option. You can receive $2,800 a month. And the benefit there is it's a lesser amount. But if you pass away, then your wife, Amanda, continues to receive that $2,800 per month for as long as she lives as well. Absolutely. So those are typically some of the options. Obviously, those numbers are made up. They're going to be based upon your age, spouse's age, years of service, all these different factors. But from a high-level standpoint, you have the option of taking a higher amount. That amount goes away upon your passing, or a lower amount, but your beneficiary gets some percentage of that when you pass.
0: I agree with everything you say. I would only add one thing. I oftentimes you'll see in a lot of pension. Um, scenarios, they'll say something along the lines of exactly what you gave to me. I'll just give back to you. But the third option would be that, James, you can choose to receive $2,900 a month. And if you pass away, Ashlyn will receive 75% of your benefit. So, So there's usually... Three, two, two options are the most clear, the ones that uh, that James gave at first, but oftentimes there's an in-between that is associated or more than one in-between where you can choose for the surviving spouse to receive a lesser percentage by you not taking as much of a haircut on the original pension amount. And the original Definitely. pension amount would just be the one that you're choosing to only choose yourself to re- to receive that benefit. No yep. one else is receiving it. That's the maximum dollar amount we can get. We make all choices from that to understand what the difference is that we're making.
1: Exactly. So you're given at least two options. Typically, sometimes a dozen options or more. Yeah, which can there can literally be a
0: multitude. You could you can even sometimes go specifically determine your own option for the amount that you're willing to go down on to get a different survivor benefit. So, yes, so
1: many choices. But to, a good framed for this, I think that's a great great T. Yeah. And and to consider it, you need to look at it almost like you'd look at life insurance, yes. which is, Scott, if you're asking me if you need life insurance, what I really want to know is what would happen to Amanda if something happened to you? Yeah. So from this pension perspective, okay, if, if you're asking me, James, should I take the larger pension, but it's only over my lifetime, or should I take a lower pension that's over my lifetime and my spouse's lifetime, I would just start with worst case scenario. Scott, what if you retired today, tomorrow your pension begins, and you, you pass away that day?
0: Oh, it would be horrific for us because I was I currently, you know, Amanda and I were both the main breadwinners for years. And then when we started Stone Steps, I basically earned nothing at the beginning, and she earned everything until we finally flipped that. Right, where she decided to her one of her life goals is to be a stay at home mom. So now she is, and now I make all of the income and she makes, she makes still some income as a consultant, but it's very, it's very much so weighted my way now on the income threshold. Her time and energy is devoted to being an amazing mother. So Mm -hmm. with us, if we were to do that now and I was the survivor benefit, she's there's no survivor benefit. Like for her, we would be in a big trouble right now. Yep. We need that benefit to be for both of our lifetimes, not just one lifetime.
1: Exactly. So that's where I would start. And so we'd look at that and say, okay, it's it's pretty clear that electing the single life annuity or single life pension maybe isn't a great place to start for you. Now let's fast forward. Let's fast forward, say 15 years, kids are in college and or through college, they're financially independent. Let's just assume Amanda's working at this point and you're you're both earning 50% of household income. Right, right. Well, now if something happened to you, Scott, it might be a different story. Totally. Boys are grown. Yeah. Amanda's got her income. Yes, it would be tragic if you passed, but it would be a different scenario there than it would be today when she's got the full-time job of raising kids and also earning the income on the side, but just different... Circumstances, and so, so that's true. how we'd like to look at it. Of run through a scenario. So yeah. what, I'm, I'm obviously using you as an example, but talking to Randy, talking to people. Randy's the listener yes, who submitted the question. We'll be said in. that. Yeah. Um, that's the first place I would start. Where if if the surviving spouse would be totally fine if you took the higher payment but no survivorship option, you might want to. Consider that. It's more income while you're both living, more money to do more with. Yes. There's still reasons not to do it that way, but that's where I would start.
0: It is it is a bit of a gamble, isn't it? Now the other the other thing that you didn't even you didn't mention but I know you and I would automatically think of because you were already pointing to it by saying down the road, kids are older, 50/50 50, 50 incomes, the other component that we didn't even talk about was your assets. So mm-hmm. what do you have on your balance sheet? Like do you already have enough money as a family that this is just icing on the cake? Yeah. Like you don't even need it. It's just yeah. helpful for like it's, and that is just you know the, the single survivor choosing yourself with no survivor might make sense. You're choosing to get that benefit. Um, obviously, the way that works well is if you're the person who has longevity in your life and you have a really clean health bill. Right? Yep. Like, like if, if those two things are happening in your life, yeah, sure, you could you could say let's go for it. Typically, women outlive men. Typically. Right. Um, so typically, if Amanda and I are looking at this on our own, I'm probably going to be leaning more toward the joint um, survivor annuity payment versus the single survivor payment. The other side of that, though, that I think he kind of mentioned because he mentioned life insurance. And I think this is where a lot of folks get wrapped up in is the is trying to figure out the math on this. James, why, why not instead? why don't I just take the 3000 instead of the 28 and I'll get a life insurance payment of $200 a month. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just, I'll just pay the difference. So that way, if I kick it, I'm, you know, we still get that big lump sum. So she's good. And we get, and then, but the, but my third, three grand turns off versus my 2,800 a month. I think that's yeah. what a lot of people get their heads wrapped around, try to get their heads wrapped around.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it, it could work. You just have to ask yourself if we use this exact example, one, we'd want to determine what's the amount of life insurance needed to replace that amount of income. Yeah. So what lump sum do you need to replace that? And two, if, if you're taking all of the quote unquote excess, the excess above the joint survivor. Which is the lower amount in the single life, the full amount. That full amount's being redirected to a life insurance policy. Exactly. It's no different. It's really, can you take a higher amount, get a life insurance policy, and then still be left with more than you otherwise would have? And exactly. the surviving spouse still has something to fall back on. Thank yeah. you. That there is something to be said for that. It's sometimes a little bit rare. Um, I would say talk with Randy, I'm not sure Randy's age, but but retiring out from the military could be done relatively young. Yeah. Whereas I mean, you're if you rolled pensions, in when you're
0: 18 and you put in your 20 and you never went, you know, you, you could, you could be 38 and, yeah. and rolling out with a pension.
1: Yeah. At which point term life insurance policy still could be fairly inexpensive. If you're doing this at 65, because you're retiring term life insurance policy, pretty darn expensive at that point, because you're older, the older you get, the totally. more expensive it gets.
0: That's what, and your health history matters too, right? Like if you were Um, you know, if you were in theater and you're dealing with like PTSD and there's things in your medical records that make it. So you're basically what's considered, um, you're not, you're not the, the preferred, what's the preferred. It's like preferred,
1: preferred plus non-tobacco
0: like the best of the best it makes for cheap insurance. If you've had, you know, major surgeries along the way, or if you've had, Um, bouts of mental illness or something like that, it can just automatically make everything more expensive from a life insurance standpoint. And then trying to get to the solve, I gave you the solve that was like, that one doesn't make sense, right? And and I Mm love that you just jumped right on it because just paying all of that difference to an insurance policy is doing the same thing as you just choosing not to take, (laughs) just have the longer benefit right? But if instead we could pay a hundred and we get the extra hundred, well, now maybe the extra 1200 bucks a year is worth something to us. But as we get more, if as the cost of insurance goes up, it makes it less likely that it's beneficial. So just understanding roughly what you would need to cover that amount in the first place. And then you have to decide like, how long do I want to be covering this? Am I trying to cover our income difference to the age of 65? Like what's, you know there's there's a bit of complex math that you're trying to achieve to figure out this perfect number but the funny thing is at the it's not really funny at the end of the day the numbers that they provide for the joint survivor benefit or versus the single benefit they usually wash out to be about the similar cost Yep. And there's a reason for that because yep. they looked at it.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. That's essentially what they're doing is they're pricing out life insurance because they're they're using actuarial tables to say, what's your age? What's your survivor's age? how You know, what's, what's the difference? We're essentially, they're planning on paying out the same amount, whether it's just to Scott or to both Scott and his wife over both absolutely. of their lifetimes. They're just adjusting the numbers to, based upon their tables, to come out to a similar expected payout because of that so yes oftentimes they are factoring in the cost of that insurance just they're doing it internally
0: exactly yeah it's, it doesn't need to be overly complex
1: it doesn't and i would say whenever someone asks this question you brought this up already scott it's you're never looking at just the pension you also have to look at what are your other assets what are your other income sources what are your what's your plan for social security what are your retirement expenses going all of these things really go into it because if it to your point if you've got a if you have enough money in the bank or in your investment portfolio to you could fully live on that if you needed to that's a very different answer for someone asking should i go full amount or the joint survivor amount than someone who says hey this this pension is our sole source of income for the rest of both of our lives yeah very different um it's yeah. very different if the surviving spouse also maybe has a pension maybe they're they're also in the military maybe they also have accrued something that could be different um you look at if you're older and closer to social security age, could you do things to offset? Okay, maybe I take the full amount of the pension to get get a higher payout, but I also delay my social security until seventy to get the max payout there because that does have just a built-in survivor benefit. So you you do want to start by just looking at the pension and then you do want to start by just looking at what would their surviving spouse, what would life look like for them if you passed away upon taking that? But you can't leave out. Cash, income potential, investments, other income sources—all that needs to tie into get to the right decision. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I totally agree. Anything else you'd want to say on this? No, there's there, there's not a formula um, for what's you know if this then full amount if that then take the joint survivor as much as consider everything else. Ask yourself the question: Would your spouse be okay if you passed upon collecting the full amount? If not, really seriously, lean towards that joint survivor. I would say, or come up with a, a financial plan or financial strategy to ensure they would be okay um, should something happen to you.
0: Right, and then once you do know the difference, again, it's not—it's not. Sadly, it's not black and white, but you can say, okay, I get an extra four hundred dollars a month choosing my own benefit versus doing the joint benefit, and then we can go look at, okay, well, how much am I getting in income. What would that translate to, to a present value number for an amount of life insurance to cover that amount over some next period of 20 years, some number like that, and then go price out the cost of that insurance and see, does it make sense? Do mm-hmm. I want to do this? Um, that's one thing you can do. Because another component as well is if you do have a, di- let's say you have a difference, the way where it would get rosier in my opinion, and James, you can let me know if you feel differently, but let's just assume 3,000 is the number, but the cuts to 2,500 and then we go price out insurance and for a young fairly healthy person they can spend you know um say 2400 bucks a month $200 a month for their life insurance term life insurance policy to cover them now they have an extra 300 left funny thing is they don't even need the 300 so they could do something they could go invest that 300 now so now they can go invest yeah. the 300 while they're spending the 200 to protect them but now they're investing an extra $3600 a year for the next 20 years yeah. And that's what they actually choose to do. In that instance, it probably ends up being better to go that route from a financial standpoint. just look yeah. at the dollars and cents. Does that make sense? It makes sense. But you have to know your own numbers and be able to take the time to go do that analysis.
1: And what you hit upon is that it's the right financial thing. Sometimes the right emotional thing is just for that surviving spouse or for you caring for a spouse. Like you just want to know.
0: Yeah, we're taking a haircut on the
1: financial side, but we're we get, good. Regardless. We get the
0: 2,500 a month, no matter what, right? Yep. Like we're good. Yeah. Yep. The And the other side to that is the um, whether what the insurance, um, pardon me, not insurance, what the inflation adjustment is on the pension. Some pensions will have inflation adjustments, some won't. So it it could be said that it could make sense, like in this instance, where we have inflation being high right now, if inflation's built into the pensions, that inflation adjustment is going to be really benefit you right now. Whereas you have to go invest those funds against that inflation number. It might take longer for you to catch up on that investment, getting um, redirected to grow. Does that make sense?
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. So Lots to consider. uh, But I think that's a good starting point for how to look at it.
0: Agreed. Yeah.
1: Cool. Well,
0: anything else to add? No, just um, thank you for the questions. Please keep them coming. We will get back to doing more elements slash, uh, you know, geeking out on scorecards uh, as we come into future episodes into the new year. Really excited to, um, to have you all here. If you find that this is helpful for you at all, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts or even better share an episode that you found to be helpful with someone else so that they can get help as
1: well. Love it. Well, thank you, Scott. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there'll be a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, it should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services. This podcast is for informational entertainment purposes only, should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other.